Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why your body doesn't actually replace itself every seven years, whether you should worry more about having money or making money, and why the difference between kill and no-kill animal shelters isn't as simple as you might think. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Today in myth-busting, have you ever heard that your body replaces itself every seven years? You've heard this, right, Ashley? Yeah, for sure. So the idea is that every seven years, every cell in your body has been replaced with new ones. So in a way, you're a completely different person every seven years. Well, we've heard this too, and while it's kind of a cool idea, it turns out that it's just not true. Have I shared with you my theory about things that have the number seven in them? No. If there's a fact you hear that has the number seven in it, it's probably wrong. That's just my rule of thumb. Because is this based on any evidence whatsoever? No. Well, no, it's just <laughs> I just keep, you know, every seven years, gum stays in your stomach for seven years. It's just humans love the number seven. And so we just attach it to all of our BS. Fact check the number seven. Totally. And we did the fact checking for you here. Yes. Because I'm going to tell you that the seven year replacement thing is a myth. Seven years isn't even a rough average of every cell's lifespan. So to understand how often your cells replace themselves, you need to understand how cells come into being in the first place. Your body can make new cells in a couple of different ways. One way is when existing cells divide with a pretty simple process called mitosis. You may remember that from science class. During mitosis, a parent cell splits into two new cells that are called daughter cells. And they're basically copies of the original cells. The second way cells are created is through stem cells. Those are special cells in your body, and you don't have as many of them as you do other cells. Stem cells can copy themselves using mitosis, but they can also make new specialized cells, like blood cells and nerve cells. Those can't make copies of themselves. Now, in order to control the growth of new cells, old cells also need to die. For example, you know the spaces between your fingers and toes? Those are partly there because of cell death when you are born. You need this programmed cell death in order to prevent you from having webbed hands and feet. After some time, all cells eventually do shrivel and die, but not every cell's lifespan is the same. The cells that line your stomach can renew as fast as every two days, since they often come into contact with digestive acid. Cells that make up your skin are replaced every two to three weeks, which makes sense because your skin is your main protection against the environment. Pretty important to keep in good shape. But some cells have a lifespan that's a lot longer than seven years. Your fat cells live an average of 10 years, and the bones in your body also regenerate every 10 years or so. Brain cells are as old as you are, since they don't regenerate as you age. You also never replace your tooth enamel or the lenses of your eyes. When it comes to certain cells, you are stuck with them for life. I hope it's a comforting thought that there's a part of you that'll never change. Money can be a stressful subject. But today, we've got a story about what really matters when it comes to money. What do you think matters more, having money or making money? According to money guru Sam Dogan of the Financial Samurai, there are some pretty compelling reasons to focus more on the money you have than the money that's coming in. It's all about the money. So here's the science. In 2013, a meta-analysis published in Clinical Psychology Review found that people who have debt are three times more likely to have a mental health problem like depression or anxiety. And a 2018 study published in JAMA found that a sudden financial loss was associated with a higher risk of death. Ignoring your finances isn't just a bad idea. It's a health concern. Now let's address the elephant in the room. Your job is not guaranteed. 
I'm not trying to stress you out here, but let's face it. There are a hundred different reasons you might come into work tomorrow and leave with your things in a box. Even if your job security is ironclad, emergency expenses could come up and turn your paycheck into peanuts. If you put away a certain amount of money from every paycheck, you'll be in better shape if disaster hits. And if disaster doesn't hit, then hey, you'll be in a good financial place once it's time to retire. If you're looking for a hard number, then try to shoot for saving about 20% of your paycheck based on the 50-20-30 rule. We've talked about that on this show before, and you can find a link to that article on curiosity.com in today's show notes. If you're having trouble putting money away, then the Financial Samurai points out that real wealth is earned in the very long term through saving and investing. In more technical terms, remember that the government taxes you on your income, not your savings. You can have millions in the bank and just get taxed on the interest. But if you're making millions of dollars, then you'll end up giving a lot of it back. When you focus on having more instead of making more, you'll make smarter decisions across the board. The best advice is never the flashiest, but there's a reason you always hear the same boring rules, like don't spend more than you make and save a portion of every paycheck. Sayings like this may be a dime a dozen, but remember, a penny saved is a penny earned. Put your money where your mouth is and don't break the bank when you bring home the bacon. Sorry, I got kind of carried away there. (laughs) What can I say? Idioms are my bread and butter. The difference between kill and no-kill animal shelters is not as simple as you might think. Ashley, where did you get your cat? I got her from Paws, which is a no-kill animal shelter in Chicago. Nice, but if it had not been a no-kill animal shelter, it actually wouldn't have been that bad of a thing based on the information in this story. Right, I didn't realize that. I specifically looked out for a no-kill shelter, and uh, it turns out that maybe a traditional shelter would have been fine too. Right, So for those of you wondering whether you should take a stray dog to a kill or a no-kill animal shelter, you should know the choice is not necessarily straightforward. There's actually no universal definition for a no-kill shelter. And it's not even true that no-kill shelters never euthanize animals that they take in. Generally, no-kill shelters try to maintain a 90% live release rate, according to the Washington Post. That means no-kill shelters try to save nine out of every ten animals and may still euthanize pets that are elderly or sick and genuinely need to be put down, although not all do. Regardless, as a result of these policies, no-kill shelters are usually full. Every shelter has limited space, and at no-kill shelters, animals can stay for their whole natural lifetime. That's not a ton of turnover. When no-kill shelters turn animals away, and usually it's the struggling, not-cute animals they can't find room for, they more or less sentence those animals to either the streets or to kill shelters. And if the choice is between being left on the streets and being sent to a kill shelter, even PETA says kill shelters are the more humane option. Now, what I keep referring to as kill shelters are also called traditional or open admission shelters, and they do euthanize animals they no longer have room for, but they never turn an animal away. That makes them great for emergency cases, and anyway, the actual killing they do is humane. Animals killed on the streets, meanwhile, tend to suffer. One animal control officer says that leaving them on the streets is essentially euthanasia by proxy. Yikes. And animals left on the streets can reproduce, which causes even more homeless animals who could suffer and even cause public safety issues. If you really want to help the problem of homeless animals, then instead of protesting open admission shelters— consider working to make shelters unnecessary in the first place. PETA recommends advocating for spay and neuter laws in your area. A problem like homeless animals might be best solved at the level of public policy, not at the level of individual shelters. And if you stumble on a stray, sure, it would be ideal to take it to a no-kill shelter. 
but consider traditional shelters and adoption as well. The no-kill shelters likely full. And if you're going to adopt an animal, either shelter is fine. Either shelter is great. Today's ad-free episode was brought to you by our patrons. Special thanks to Lynn Smith, Jordan Sanford, Dave Broshinsky, Ryan Day, and Kyle Hewitt for your support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. To learn more about how you can support Curiosity Daily and to take our poll to tell us what you think of our new podcast logo, please visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 